Where are the strengths of quarterback Tommy DeVito's game? How does it differ from Daniel Jones's? And what's the Giants' future at the quarterback position? We're covering all that and more with special guest Mark Schofield on today's Locked on Giants podcast. That's coming your way next. You are Locked on Giants, your daily New York Giants podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. This episode of the Lock on Giants podcast is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on NFL. That's linkedin.com slash locked on NFL to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, New York Giant fans, and welcome to another edition of the Lock on Giants podcast, part of the Lock on Podcast family, your team every day. My name is Patricia Trena. And a big shout out to all my everydayers, my newcomers, my Blue Crew community members, and everybody in between. Appreciate you tuning in to the Locked on Giants podcast. And on today's show, I have Mark Schofield of SB Nation. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar with Mark Schofield or his work, he is an excellent, excellent X's and O's guy, specifically when it comes to quarterbacks. And he's here today. We're going to pick his brain a little bit about the Giants quarterback situation. Tommy DeVito. We're going to talk a little bit about Daniel Jones. We'll even dip into uh, the draft class a little bit to see what Mark has to say about those prospects. So Mark, my friend, great to see you as always. Oh, Patricia, it's great to be back. It's been far too long since we got a chance to do a show together, but excited to be here. It's a very exciting time for Giants fans, honestly. And, and I say this as you, you can see over my shoulder. I always do that, Rod, right there. See a lot of Patriots stuff. I am a Patriots fan, but it's been very, very fun to watch this Giants team from afar, from a distance as sort of a neutral observer these past couple of weeks. I'm kind of riding the Tommy DeVito train along with everybody else. It's got me thinking, honestly. So my grandfather, Ray Paradiso, born outside of Rome, comes to the United States as a kid, Ends up serving his country in World War II. Comes back from World War II and he does a couple of things in the Boston area. He gets a job, he settles down, and he gets Red Sox season ticks. He loved the Boston Red Sox. Had them from like 1946 to, to the 1990s. Like you name a big game in Red Sox history, either my grandfather or somebody was there. Um, he didn't like the Yankees, I'll just say that. But he had a soft spot for Joe DiMaggio. He had a soft spot for Joe DiMaggio because he's like, it's a good Italian boy doing well. So he loved seeing DiMaggio when he would come to Boston and he would tell stories about seeing DiMaggio and Williams and all the greats. Is Tommy DeVito my Joe DiMaggio? I don't know, but I raised that the other day at the SB Nation Slack chat. I'm like, look, I'm a Patriots guy, but there's something about seeing him play well that's kind of captured my attention. So it's been a, a ton of fun to watch from afar. Definitely. He certainly come out of nowhere. And, you know, Mark, let's start off. I want to get your overall take on what you have seen from DeVito's game, what he does well, what he's still developing and where he's maybe, you know, not as strong as he could be. Yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot of it comes with the reasons why he went undrafted. I mean, first of all, the situations he was in sort of in Illinois and Syracuse didn't have a ton of talent around him. Um, you know, made some good throws for both of those teams, showed a little bit of pocket movement ability and some athleticism, but, you know, it was still sort of a project 
You know, there was still ways that he would have to go to become sort of an NFL, you know, backup quarterback, let alone a starter. And there are certain things that he'll need to improve on if he wants to potentially win this job going forward. I think, you know, the arm talent, it's good enough, but he could always sort of improve there. And I, I think that's something that I'm going to be watching sort of going forward. I think, and we've talked over the years about all quarterbacks need to get faster with decision-making. And he's been very good in that regard, I'd say. But I think you can always improve there. And another thing to sort of watch is, you know, the idea of what is he going to do now that teams have sort of seen him. You know, we've seen this before. Josh Dobbs this season is an example of that, where you come in initially, it's kind of a clean slate. He did it in Arizona. He did it in Minnesota, where defenses don't know what to expect. Then after two or three games, they're like, oh, okay, this is what we can look for. This is what we can expect. And you see what happens. You know, Josh Dobbs this week is now getting benched for Nick Mullins as the Vikings fight for their playoff lives. And so teams now have a couple of weeks on Tommy DeVito, on what Mike Kafka and Brian Dable are doing with him conceptually in, in the passing game and even in the run game. What do they do and how does he respond? That's something that I'll be watching as well. But things that do stand out, pocket movement. I, I think that's been very impressive from him. And certainly in recent weeks, you've seen them cut down on sacks. You've seen him cut down on sacks. Didn't get sacked Monday night. There, there was one play that was like, borderline because he get back to the line of scrimmage but other than that he's moving well he's getting the ball out quickly and he's been I think appropriately aggressive you know and that's something that I love seeing from a quarterback like when you have opportunities to make aggressive decisions and throws and push the ball downfield he's taking them like he had a a dig route against Washington on a dagger concept on third and 13 where he fitted in right between two underneath defenders on the dig route. And it was an appropriately aggressive throw. And then you come down, I think it was very next play or two plays later, he hit Saquon on that wheel route touchdown out of the backfield. You don't get that wheel route touchdown if you don't make the aggressive decision on third and 13. And so that really stood out to me. The, the game wouldn't drive against Green Bay Monday night. You know, Joe Barry decides we're going to play soft. We're going to play, you know, prevent the big play, keep things in front of us. So he's like, okay. I'll take what you're giving me. I'll throw the hitch. I'll throw the check down. I'll throw underneath. But the second they went press man, that's when he hit the big play to Robinson. So to identify that real time and realize, look, I've got the opportunity now to take the aggressive throw and then his stick it was huge to see. So, you know, it, it's been a lot of fun for off the field reasons, I'd say, but it's been a lot of fun for on the field reasons. How much have, the Giants altered, <clears throat> excuse me, their game plan to suit what Tommy does well and what he doesn't do well. How different is it, would you say, from what they were running with Daniel and even for a little bit there with Tyrod Taylor? I mean, I think there are some differences. There are some certain differences where, you know, you see some run game elements that maybe they used last year with Daniel Jones, but seem to sort of be out of the game plan, out of the script with Jones earlier this season. They've done a lot with you know, and they did some of this with Jones, particularly last year, you know, but it seemed again sort of missing this year. But wheel routes, leak routes, things out of the backfield off of play action, or even just straight to rock back, where you know it's it's perhaps something that DeVito is a bit more familiar with given the offenses he ran at Syracuse and Illinois. So you've certainly seen that. And I think that in a way, they've sort of I don't want to say dialed back the game plan. But you can see, particularly in recent weeks, because of those sack numbers, an emphasis on either getting it out quickly or just taking off. 
you know, because the sack numbers were such, you know, and, and Emery Hunt had a piece along with, you know, Dane Brugler, myself, Ed Valentine um, over Big Blue View. And Emery made this point where we haven't been talking about the offensive line a lot in recent weeks. And I, I think part of that is the emphasis on, okay, look, if it's not there initially, if you don't like your first two reads, like throw it away, or take off or do something differently. We're not expecting you to get to the fifth read, to the fourth read into a play. Like because of the protection issues we've had, sort of take care of yourself, take care of the football. You know, second and 10 is fine. Second and nine is fine. Second and eight is fine. Second and 17, that's not what we're built for right now. And so trying to stay out of those second and long third and situations has been, I think, a point of emphasis. And that certainly helped him because it keeps the entire playbook open. When you're third and 17, not a lot of plays in the playbook for that. When you're third and six, pretty much your entire playbook is open. And so I think that's been a big difference as well. What about, you know, you mentioned the surprise element, you know, DeVito coming out of school, wasn't drafted. I'm sure teams scouted him. Um, I'm not sure how many draft analysts really paid a whole lot of attention to him. But, you know, I, I know this is kind of like a hard question to answer, but what was missing from DeVito's game that you think caused him to fall into that undrafted free agent uh, range that he was went in? I mean, I think there were a couple of things at work. I, I think, you know, it was a fairly deep quarterback class. You know, Dane Brugger, for example, had him QB 16. I mean, there are a lot of names in this in, in this quarterback class. And, you know, a lot of quarterbacks got more sort of postseason, you know, bowl game buzz, you know, all-star circuit buzz and things like that. And I also think that, like, there were some things that he did well, but there were certainly areas to improve. And when you start thinking about, you know, taking a flyer on a quarterback late in the draft – in the position where a team could have drafted him, you might look for like a big overwhelming trade. Like he's got, okay. Well, he's got some things to fill in like Aiden O'Connell, for example, he's got a big arm. He's got a big arm. And, and so a team might say, look, you know, maybe the athleticism isn't there. Maybe there aren't a lot of things to truly like here. Maybe it's not a full, well-rounded package as a quarterback prospect, but he's got a huge arm. We can do something with that. You know, Tommy DeVito didn't have a big Colin card trait coming out, I think, from most draft, draft analysts' perspective. And so I think that's one of the reasons you probably saw teams like willing to see him slide. Um, and also, look, as somebody that's done this now almost for 10 years, quarterback evaluation, it's a crapshoot. It absolutely is. We miss all the time. Those of us that do it on the outside, those of us that do it for teams, those of us that have been doing it for 30, 40 years, people miss all the time. And people may have missed on Tommy DeVito, like they missed on, say, Brock Purdy or years ago, Tom Brady. You know, those are names that have certainly come up in the Tommy DeVito conversation in recent weeks, you know, because you can't get the full picture sometimes. You can't get the you know, what's inside the player, what's inside their mind, what's inside their heart. Now, maybe the fact that he slid out of the draft helped motivate him. Who knows? Um, but maybe teams didn't get that full piece. But there, there's a lot of reasons that we miss on quarterbacks. There's a lot of reasons why we'll miss on quarterbacks in the spring, as I'm sure we're all going to do. But it's an the, the QB evaluation part is so hard because as you and I have talked over the years, there's so much that goes into it. And a lot of the reason that the Giants and Tommy are having success right now, I think, is a lot of the off-field stuff. Is a lot of the like motivational, 
a lot of like rallying around the backup, the third string, the undrafted guy that you're seeing from the team from Saquon on down. I think that plays a role and it goes into you and I have talked over the years about how QB is a, a Monday morning to Sunday night evaluation process. It's not snap to whistle. It, it, it's not sideline to whistle. It's the full seven days of being an NFL quarterback. And there's probably a lot going on inside that building right now, which you know a lot better than I that is going into what we're seeing from this team. What do you think DeVito's ceiling is? Can he be a full-time starter? I think so. I think that's possible. That's the sort of ceiling that he's sort of like the quarterback you win games with. I think that's the ultimate ceiling. I think the sort of realistic is, you know, he's your QB2 spot starter type, which you need. Look around the NFL right now. I mean, tonight on Thursday night football, we're recording this on Thursday morning, we get Easton Stick versus potentially Aiden O'Connell. I mean, you've seen teams that may have had playoff aspirations fall by the wayside because they lose their starting quarterback. And I've always been a firm believer, and we've talked about this as well, you should have a very good QB too. If you want to be a successful team, you need somebody that if your starter goes down, the season isn't lost. And if that's ultimately what Tommy DeVito ends up being is a very good QB two, that's a good thing. You can make a very good career doing that. Just ask Colt McCoy and Chase Daniel and the quarterbacks that have done that before. But you need that as a team because if you're simply in the position of the starter goes down and the season's over, that you're really rolling the dice in today's NFL on the 17-game season. And so I think his – Peak ceiling, yeah, he could be a mid-level starter in this league, given what we've seen. Realistically, he's probably a QB2 type, but that's okay, and that's something that a team needs. Hey, Giant fans. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available, right? So that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the right people for your team faster and for free. I myself have used LinkedIn Jobs to find aspiring writers for Giants Country, the site that I run over on SI's Fan Nation, and the process is not only super easy, but a big time saver. Simply add your job and the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so that you can quickly prioritize whom you'd like to interview and hire. So don't spend time sorting through endless resumes and dead-end leads. Put LinkedIn Jobs to work to you today for free by visiting linkedin.com slash LockedOnNFL. Terms and conditions apply. Now, Mark, I want to pivot to Daniel Jones. I want to talk a little bit about Daniel. You know, obviously he's on IR, the ACL but to to my eye, he looked like he regressed. And I know people are going to say, well, he didn't have Andrew Thomas for most of his time in there. He didn't have Saquon Barkley. He didn't have this. He didn't have that. But I watched Daniel, <clears throat> excuse me, and to me, it looked like he just took a step back from what he was able to do last year. What did you see in Daniel's game? And do you agree that he regressed this year in the snaps he played? I do. I th- I don't think he was comfortable at all this year. I like watching him last season to this season. I don't think he ever settled in comfort level wise. And this is also something we've talked about. Like if you're uncomfortable, if you're unsure, 
if you're questioning how much time you're going to have on a throw, whether the receivers are going to be there, whether everything's going to be synced up, if you're starting to get sped up, you know, internal clockwise because you're getting pressured, you're never going to be comfortable and you're never going to be successful. And I think that's a lot of what we saw from Daniel Jones this season. The comfort level was never truly there. He started to speed himself up artificially, probably more than he needed to. He started to shy away from some throws that he was making last year, that he was attempting last year, that gets us to the balance of conservative play call and conservative execution versus being appropriately aggressive, which we talked about with Tommy a minute ago. I also think that, look, they probably, I don't want to say put too much on his plate, but thought that, you know, given the stride that he made last year, he was going to be in a position to solve some things himself, to fix some things himself, that if a design wasn't there, he was going to be able to make something happen. And that didn't quite come together for him this year. And so ultimately, I think it was just, I stress this all the time. If you're not comfortable as a quarterback, if you're questioning what's around you, if you're questioning what's, what you're doing, you're ultimately going to start questioning yourself it's never a, a situation conducive to good quarterback play. And I think that's sort of where Jones struggled at the start of this year. And yes, there are reasons for that. We talk all the time, you and I, about context, about missing Thomas, about missing Barkley. But if you're the starting quarterback of a team that just made the playoffs and won a playoff game and you've got the big contract this year, the expectations are different. This isn't last year's version of Daniel Jones where the expectations really weren't there but you made the most of it as a team and you had the surprise to run to the playoff games change now. Like you're expected from the outside and in the building to make the most of the situation that didn't quite happen. And so that's going to be, I think a situation and a perhaps attention to watch going forward. Is Daniel salvageable at this point? You know, obviously he's got to come back from the, the knee injury, which I suspect is going to affect his, his mobility but given what he has gone through, is he shell-shocked to the point where, you know, maybe the Giants need to think about moving on from him? I don't think they need to move on from him or anything like that. I do think that there is a path to him being salvageable. I, I think, you know, you. It, it, a, what's fascinating about the Giants right now is they now have more options than they did, say, a month and a half ago. Like a month and a half ago, the discussion was, all right, can they get one of the top two quarterbacks in the draft? Like, can, are they firmly in the QB first round discussion? I think they have a path to not doing that now. I think they can take a step back. And, of course, this could all change over the next couple of weeks. You lose out this season, and maybe you are in the striking distance of a top quarterback, and the conversation changes. But you keep winning some games. First of all, you might play yourself out of that conversation with a number of teams that, like that team right there, you know, could be in the QB1, QB2 discussion. You know, so you might end, eventually play yourself out of that, and then you have to go down a different pathway, which might allow you to get a wide receiver. It's a very good wide receiver class. And if you add, say, Malik Neighbors from LSU to this offense with him and Hyatt, I think Daniel Jones could be successful in that offense. I think Tommy DeVito could be successful in that offense. And so the conversation might shift around it. But I do think that if they lean back into some of the stuff that they did last year, if they get Daniel Jones into a situation where he's more comfortable and more confident again, if they do some things to help him like they did a year ago that maybe they didn't feel they needed to do this season, then yes, he can still be a starting quarterback for this football team. 
But now you have a potential option here with DeVito too. So they've got more options than they did, say, you know, November 1st. And that's a good situation to be in. With with Daniel, though, you, you mentioned that, you know, they need to give him more support. At what point, though, Mark? I mean, he's been in the league now, what, five years, six years, whatever it is. At what point do you just say, look, you know, we're never going to get everything perfect. <clears throat> Excuse me in front of this guy. <clears throat> Excuse me. We're never going to have the perfect offensive line. You know, I mean, that's been a, a, a topic for, for the last 10 years or so. Um, we're never going to have, you know, a healthy Darren Waller. You, you know, I, not to be negative, but at some point you can't have everything perfect around a quarterback. So with that said, what do the Giants really need to do if they are to salvage Daniel Jones, do they need to tweak, roll back the, the game plan? Is that going to hold them back down the line? I mean, what can they do, do you think? I mean, I think, you know, you think about the things that worked for this team last year. And obviously one of the things that worked was the QB run element. I mean, 120 designed quarterback runs last year. That was a career high for Jones. And that opened up a lot of other stuff in the passing game and even in the run game that certainly helped this team. And I think that there's – you know, a way to sort of emphasize that again, that sort of QB athleticism component. Now there's a question mark there. And that's obviously you're talking about a quarterback that's going to be coming off a big knee injury, like, and and how effective will it be? And so I, I think a way to look at this is sort of a hypothetical to say they decide to go, you know, they address the offensive line in the first round instead of a QB or they address wide receiver with neighbors or somebody else in the first round. And now you've got sort of a healthy waller. You've got your offensive line back. You've got another receiver, Daniel Jones has an opportunity at the start of the year to come back and do some of these, these things in the QB run game. And, you know, maybe you do some more things in the passing game, some more RPOs and things like that. And it's still not clicking. Yeah. I mean, look, it, it's sort of the proverbial short hook situation here with Daniel Jones. If the team even decides to run it back with him, I, I think it's sort of we're reaching the end of the, the, the line here with him. And if, as you say, you're right. You're absolutely right. It's never going to be perfect. It's rarely perfect for a quarterback in the NFL. And we're now going to be in what, year six? And if you're still having these same issues, if you're, st if we're at, say, Halloween next year, and the question is, is Daniel Jones the guy? I think you know the answer to that question if you have to ask it. Is there such a, a concept that, you know, one of the theories we had earlier in the year, and I'll run it by you, is that, Daniel Jones was not an ideal fit for this offensive line. You know, we mentioned the struggles, the injuries that the offensive line had, you know, the line has settled down. They've been going with the same combination, but still not perfect. So that being said, when you don't have at least three studs on your offensive line to make a decent offensive line, and you have a quarterback back there who's slow to process as Daniel Jones has been known to do, is that a recipe for disaster? It kind of is. I mean, Dan Hatman, I know you know Dan. Like, I was talking to Dan about offensive line play recently, and I, that's why, you know, you mentioned the three studs thing. That's what, Dan was, that's what Dan told me recently about the offensive line, right? A great offensive line has three good guys. Like, that's it. Good offensive line has two. Like, offensive line is a weak link unit, right? If you're a great offensive line and you've got three studs, you've got two guys that aren't. And if you're Dan Quinn, for example, where are you lining up Micah Parsons? It's not going to be against one of the three studs. It's going to be against one of the two guys that isn't a stud. 
So you better be able to read and process and make decisions quickly, even if you're behind a great offensive line. And the fact that we're now in year five of the Daniel Jones experiment and we're still wondering about the quick decision making, it does make it seem like, is he the best fit behind such an offensive line? Because you've got to, and that's one of the things, particularly in recent weeks you've seen from DeVito is just, he's getting the ball out. Like, even if it's a check down, you know, there, there was a, such a fascinating conversation recently when Tom Brady had Josh Allen on his podcast and Tom went into this long lengthy spiel about how sometimes the best throw as a quarterback is the check down is the throwaway. Like there are times when, yeah, it's third and 17 late fourth quarter and you're going to make a stick throw. You got to try it, but second and seven is okay. You know, cause you can live to see second and seven, second and 17, as we talked about earlier, not where you want to be. And so DeVito has been very good at, okay, I'll just get it out quickly, particularly in recent weeks. And maybe Daniel Jones sort of watching it now as an observer, it's like, maybe it clicks now, you know, you, maybe it does. And you've seen that before from some quarterbacks where they get an injury, they get a chance to sort of watch and observe. And we've talked about this before, and, and maybe it helps them understand what they can improve upon. And so maybe, maybe it clicks, but again, we're in year five, like, at some point, it's either going to happen or it's not. And I think that, again, gets into that hypothetical world of, okay, say they decide to run it back with Jones, with DeVito as their QB is going into next year, and Jones is the starter again, but we're seeing these same issues. Again, the the hook will be quick. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Life can sometimes drag us down, leaving us with more questions than answers. And this time of year with the holidays can make life even more challenging for some. BetterHelp can provide you with the guidance that you need to become empowered in your decision-making process. BetterHelp is entirely online and is designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And if you find that your assigned therapist turns out not to be a match, you can switch at any time for no additional charge. In the season of giving, give yourself what you need with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash on today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash LockedOn. All right, now, Mark, I want to talk about some of the college prospects at quarterback. Um, you the the odds of the Giants getting a crack at one of the top two or the guys that are considered top two probably slim to none at this point, especially if they keep on winning, but you never know. So that being said, when you look at the top prospects in this class right now, who would you say is the best fit for the Giants offense and why? I mean, I think you can go in a couple of different directions between let's take the top two, Caleb Williams and Drake May. I I think you can go in a couple of different directions and I think both could be a fit. I think, look, Caleb Williams is a dynamic athlete, is a dynamic quarterback. Now he got into trouble this year against blitzes, against pressure schemes. And there were simply some moments where he was just simply trying to do too much, I think. But if you get him into an NFL offense and you get him into an NFL building and you basically say, look, stop throwing it into triple coverage. Like you don't have to fix everything yourself now. You're in an NFL offense. He can be a dynamic NFL quarterback. And he can certainly make people miss. He has that ability, that feel in the pocket, those eyes on the back of his head. 
that athleticism to make a free runner look silly because he can make them miss. And I think that's going to be critical given some of the offensive line issues that we've talked about this show and some of the offensive line issues we've seen. But Drake May can solve some of those problems too. He's a good decision maker. He's I don't think he gets his not enough credit for the athleticism and the ability to create off structure. Certainly that's an area where I think Williams is better, but May is very good. One of the things I really like about May is the competitive toughness factor. And this gets into some of the stuff we talked about and touched on with Tommy DeVito. But you know, one of my favorite games so far of his to study was ACC championship game last year, you know, two seasons ago, basically, where they got blown out by Clemson. But he's deep into the fourth quarter, still making plays and playing really well. And he threw some interceptions in that game, one of which was a disastrous sort of pick six. It wasn't his fault. Like he breaks the pocket. He's running around. He's creating, makes a throw. And the receiver that he throws it to starts to put his arms up and then pulls him down, thinking the ball is not intended for him. And it's a pick six. And he just lets it go. That really sort of impressed me seeing him in that game. And so he, he could be a fit for this team. Jaden Daniels is getting a ton of buzz right now. And I've talked to a number of sort of professional evaluators, media evaluators, and there's a lot of like, okay, maybe we're seeing like an Anthony Richardson type rise here. As you remember this time last year, Richardson was like, maybe he's a first round pick, maybe like 15th or so overall. By the time we get done in Indianapolis, there was a serious QB1 discussion about Anthony Richardson. And I think that's that's the rise that we're seeing right now from Jaden Daniels. You know, he just won the Heisman. And I know it was a weird sort of season for Heisman Trophy winners, but, you know, Heisman Trophy candidates. But he had a very good year. And he could create explosive plays. I wrote about this Saturday night when he won. Like, I think Penix had 112 explosive plays, you know, runs of 10 plus passes of 15 plus, but almost all of the one was a pass, you know, similar numbers for Knicks. Daniels had more explosive plays than both. A lot of his were runs because of the athleticism that he has. And so you could do a lot with him in the run game. You can do a lot in terms of avoiding pressure. He can do a lot in terms of making defenders miss. And he might be in their sort of range. If they're picking 10, 15 or so, he might be there. You know, the two other guys from the Pac-12, Knicks and Penix, are fascinating to watch. Penix is going to get a lot of the, like, older prospect injury history. He might be the Hendon Hooker of this group, like we saw last year, who put up big numbers, certainly has the big arm, but has the injury history, so he might slide a little bit. And if he's there in the second round and you went in a different direction in the first round, you know, he might be a fit, but you might have sort of the mobility questions, the injury history and things like that, which might lead you to Knicks, who's more of your like point guard type quarterback. I think obviously the efficiency was there, but I think the, the Bo Knicks you saw at Oregon was such an improvement upon the Bo Knicks you saw at Auburn that you might look at him and say, look, get him in the right environment, get him into our system, get him into our building with our talent. And you could see a similar growth and development. And so I really am fascinated by this quarterback class. I know a lot of the focus will be who's QB1, and maybe Daniels makes it a three-quarterback race. I don't know. I think the more fascinating discussion from where I sit is who's QB3. You know, Is it Daniels? Is it perhaps Penix or Knicks or somebody else? We might get a J.J. McCarthy heroic run through the playoff here, and he decides, you know what, I'm going to come out. That could make it interesting as well. 
You mentioned that uh, earlier in the program that the Giants left themselves with some different options now where they're not necessarily locked into having to take a quarterback given DeVito's development. So with that said, you know, depending on where the Giants draft, obviously they may or may not have a shot at a quarterback, but let's talk about some of the maybe day two quarterback picks, some of the value picks that can step in. I mean, you look at the NFC East and, and Washington, Sam Howell wasn't a day one pick. Um, Jay, uh, Hertz in Philadelphia, I think, was the second round pick. Uh, you know, uh, Prescott, obviously a fourth round pick. So the value can be found later on in the draft. Who are some of the guys that you think the Giants would would be a fit for that are not necessarily in that day one range? Yeah, a lot of it's going to depend on what we hear in terms of decisions over the next couple of weeks. Now, a name that always comes up when you get to this quarterback discussion, Shadur Sanders, the Colorado quarterback, I'd imagine he's going back to school. I mean, they just signed, you know, they just got to commit from the top offensive line prospect in the country. Colorado just got one of the top interior offensive linemen, a transfer from Indiana. Deion Sanders said, look, we're going to rebuild our offensive line. We're going to get big-time players in here. They're doing that. That makes me think that he's going back. Um, the kid from Tulane, um, I think Michael Pratt, um, he's fascinating to watch. He was the AAC Offensive Player of the Year a season ago. Very talented quarterback, already committed to the Senior Bowl, so I don't think he's going to be playing in his bowl game. I think he's a quarterback that has athleticism, that has a good arm that can make a lot of the throws that would be asked of him at the NFL level. So he's somebody I think that could, I I don't want to say that he'll get first round buzz, but we've seen quarterbacks before go to mobile or go to the shrine game, have a good week. And suddenly it's like, Oh, this is the guy that's going to sneak into the first round. He could be the player that does that. A decision I'm fascinated on is Carson Beck from Georgia. Because I think he goes back, but I don't know. I'm not so sure he does. And there have been a lot of people that said, look, you know, he certainly did more in that Georgia offense than, say, Stetson Bennett did. He was asked to do more in that Georgia offense and certainly made the most of it. Now, I know that, look, you know, they didn't get into the college football playoff, but he's fascinating to think about. Um, You know, some other quarterbacks that are sort of in that mix, Quinn Ewers. Again, does he go back or not? If he he's made a big improvement this year in that Texas offense. Now, obviously, playing under Sark, there are some NFL concepts in that offense. He seems to sort of calm his game down a little bit more. Maybe he goes back to Texas. Maybe he transfers. I mean, they just had their backup quarterback transfer, who's not going to be with them in the bowl game. So you got now Archman and his QB two now in Texas, and there are a lot of people that say, "Look, Quinn's been great, but it's it's Arch time sooner rather than later." So maybe he decides, "I'm going to transfer," or "I'm going to come out." You know, and, and that could be a name to watch. So a lot of it's going to depend on what we see here over the next couple of weeks with decisions and transfers. And, you know, if you get it, like I said, if you get a J.J. McCarthy dynamic college football playoff scenario where he has a great game in the first game and then he leads him to a national championship, he might say, look, I've done all I need to do, especially if Harbaugh bolts for the NFL. And there's a lot of rumors that he will. And Michigan's trying to get him to sign a pledge that he won't, which tells you where they're thinking of. Um, McCarthy could be somebody to watch because if, if you would ask me, say, in October, who QB3 was, I probably would have said J.J. McCarthy at that point. They had a great game against Michigan State. 
had a touchdown on a post route to split the safeties, which I heard it watching on film. You could hear the velocity on that throw. And so I would have thought he would have made the run, but then had the ankle injury, got banged up a little bit. They barely used him against Penn State. You know, it was kind of along for the ride in a couple of their games. Maryland was another one where Harbaugh was suspended. They're leaning into the run game. Penn State, I think he threw eight passes. I had a pretty good game against Ohio State, but if he has a great run, he might decide to come out, might not be a first-round QB, but could be a day-two pick that the Giants would have their eyes on. All right, it's going to be interesting for sure. You know, obviously we need to see where the Giants end up drafting. Still four weeks to go left in the season as we record this. Um, Mark, never a dull moment. Never a dull moment. Hey, look, I will say this. Giants fans, it could be worse. And I, again, point out that that Patriots logo right there. Like, I wondered if it's going to be Bill Belichick or Mike Vrabel or Ryan Day or Lincoln Riley coaching this team next year. Um, It could be worse, Giants fans. Yes, indeed, it could be. But uh, listen, it's always great talking ball with you. I appreciate your expertise and and your your time that you give me. You're always so good. And we, I, I'm telling you, shame on me for not doing this sooner. Well, we'll do it again. We'll do it again. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Giant fans, that's going to do it for this edition of Lock on Giants. Special thanks to Mark Schofield and to you guys for tuning in, making us your first listen of the day, or if you watch on YouTube, your first watch of the day, check out Mark's work over on SB Nation and follow him on X, the, the site formerly known as Twitter. He does a lot of great work. For Mark Schofield, I'm Patricia Trena. We will see you again soon, Giant fans.